Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to think about your word, ancient words yet ever true, we pray that in the midst of this service as we go forward, that we would continue to feel your presence. That as we come to think about what your word is saying to us here today, that each of us would receive once more some of your grace, your comfort, and your peace. And that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we find ourselves back journeying through the book of Jonah, which we've been doing sort of since September time. And this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 3. And I wonder what we can maybe remember about the story so far. We have seen as we have explored it together that Jonah, namely, was a prophet who lived before Jesus. He was an Israelite, and Israel's enemy was Nineveh. Things that we know about Nineveh so far, well, we know that they are a huge military power, and we know that Jonah didn't really like them. In chapter 1, we see how God calls Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh. We saw how Jonah decides, actually, no, and I'm going to go in a completely other opposite direction. Then we saw how God causes a huge storm to come. And then we saw how the other people on the boat actually kicked Jonah off the boat. We saw how the big fish then comes into the story, swallows Jonah up. We saw how Jonah then in turn spends maybe three days chilling out inside the belly of a big fish and eventually says to God he's sorry. And we saw the last time that we were together how he not, while he spent that period of time inside the big fish, rather than lamenting about the situation that he was in, on the other hand, what he actually did was use lines from Psalms of Thanksgiving to pray to God. And then we saw at the end of the chapter how after those three days relaxing inside the belly of a fish that the God commands the, vi- the fish to vomit Jonah back up. And we saw how he dr- lands on dry land once more. Quick overview then of the story as we reach it this morning. And as we come to chapter 3, what we see is that God then tells Jonah to go to Nineveh once more, and to give it, the city and all the people in it, the words of the message which God wants them to hear. And I wonder if you or I were Jonah, having previously run in the opposite direction and seen what that results in, namely being swallowed by a big fish, if the word of God comes to you a second time, what do you think you're going to do? Maybe he enjoyed being stuck in the big fish, but I'm sure many of us we'd say that he didn't. So the word of the Lord comes a second time to Jonah and he's called to go to the people of Nineveh. And if you remember, as we started out on this journey, we saw that whilst Jonah is a prophetic book, it's lumped together with all the other books in the Old Testament that are called prophets. We saw how actually there isn't a huge amount of prophecy actually going on in the story of Jonah. And actually it takes us to get to chapter 3 before we see any sign of prophecy. That's three chapters out of the four that are actually in the book. So, 
as we come to the story this morning to think about it together, what we see is actually from chapters 1 up until now, nothing much has really changed, despite what has been happening in the story. Because we have traveled with Jonah from the seaport in Joppa to an unnamed seashore now where he is lying, and nothing has changed. Because nothing has changed as far as God is concerned because Jonah still hasn't actually got to where he's wanting him to go. So the word of the Lord comes a second time. Maybe this is God giving Jonah a second chance to do what he had always wanted him to do. But as we journey through the chapter together, we'll see that not only does Jonah get a second chance, but we see also that the city gets a second chance, and we see a God who has a second chance or change of mind. Because as we read together, we see that God doesn't actually do to the people what he had already said that he would. But as we have journeyed with Jonah, we see, as we did in those opening weeks, the fact that he was running away from the presence of God. And this, of course, was nothing new in the Old Testament. Because I'm sure many of us are familiar with the words of the psalm, maybe Psalm 139, which says, Where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb to heaven, you are there. If, my be- if I make my bed and show, you are there. If I travel to the limits of the east or dwell in the bonds of western sea, even there your hand will be guiding me, your right hand holding me fast. So no matter how much Jonah or the psalmist or we here this morning might try to run away from God's call, the call doesn't change because we see that it comes a second time. A second time the word comes to God. And you would imagine that if you were a prophet and you were heading to a city and God had something he wanted you to say, that it might actually be more of a prophecy than we find in this morning's reading. Because what we see is in the story of Jonah, actually he only really has to utter eight words, five in Hebrew. But yet all this adventure had happened in the midst. And I wonder this morning if we might take a moment to reflect a little together on this idea of prophecy. Because if we turn maybe, for example, to some of the, old, some of the other Old Testament books, we'll see that actually some of them were given much more scary prophecies to give to people than was Jonah. Here we have a reading from the book of Nahum, which I know probably if you're anything like me, you'll find difficult to find. But it is there towards the back of the Old Testament. And this is the words that God gives to the prophet then to also speak against Nineveh which is where Jonah was being called to. These are the words of God. The Lord God tolerates no rivals. He he punishes, no he doesn't polish them, he punishes those who oppose him. In his anger he pays them back. The Lord does not become easily angry but he is powerful and never lets the guilty go unpunished. 
Where the Lord walks, storms arise. The clouds are the clouds are the dust raised by his feet. He commands the sea and it dries up. He makes the rivers to go dry. The fields of Bashan wither. Mount Carmel turns brown, and the flowers of Lebanon, Lebanon, I can't speak this morning, Lebanon fade. Mountains quake in the presence of the Lord. Hills melt before him. The earth shakes when the Lord appears. The world and all its people tremble. When he is angry, who can survive? Nineveh, you are under attack. Doomed is the lying, murderous city, full of wealth to be looted and plundered. I, the Lord Almighty, says, I will punish you, Nineveh. I will strip you naked and let the nations see you, see you in all your shame, and I will treat you with contempt, and I will cover you with fish, or not with fish, with filth, sorry. Fish is in my mind for some reason as we do this story through Jonah. Now, I don't know, if I was being called by God, which message do you think you might like to take? Hands up who would like to take what Nahum, Nahum was asked to share with the people in Nineveh. Anybody? Oh, not even one. Nobody. Jonah simply gets to go and tell them to repent, and he doesn't do it. In the midst of everything, we can see that actually it's not a bad message that God is calling Jonah to share with the people in Nineveh. But Jonah goes because he's learnt that if he doesn't, maybe there's going to be another fish. So he goes to the city to share the words of the Lord with him. But I wonder this morning if we might ask ourselves a question. Is Jonah actually going to where he has been called to go because he really wants to do it? Or do you think he's maybe behaving a little bit like a stroppy teenager? Now, it does tell us that he set off straight away, obeying God's words to the letter. But what we discover as we journey through the story is that Nineveh was a huge city. It was a vast city. It would have taken three days to travel through it. Yet, as we encounter the text this morning, what we see is that Jonah is actually only in it for one day, and word has reached the king, and everybody is repenting there and then. We discover that the king is ordering people to put on sackcloth and ashes, a way to publicly show all those around that they were sorry for what they had done. Not only is he calling on the, on the people to repent, but he's also making the animals wear sackcloth and ashes, which would have been made out of goat's hair. Can you imagine the king giving the decree that actually the goats are going to have to put on more goat's hair to show that they are sorry? The people are to ensure that the animals fast. Not only have the people in their homes not to eat, but also the animals can't even lick the grass. The king is so captured by this message that instantly he is calling the people to do something about it. He is challenging the people to publicly show that they are sorry there and then. Jonah gets sidetracked. Jonah sort of disappears because it seems that God's message is so powerful and it will reach those who he wants to reach with or without Jonah, because word spreads like wildfire, and the city turns. 
because they do not want to be destroyed. But if we look closer at the text together, what we'll see is there's more going on beneath the surface. Because what we see is the king is hoping against hope that in spite of this awful message that Nineveh is going to be totally destroyed, that actually God might change his mind. That God might have mercy on the people. That things could be different. And what do we read? Well, we read in verse 10 together that God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives, and he did change his mind about them. What he said he would do, he did not do. Things have changed. Things have altered. Things have shifted. The people have been publicly sorry And God responds. Because the message that they were hearing convicted them so much. I imagine this morning, if it was us, if we were greeted by that message that Belfast was going to be destroyed in 40 days, how would we respond? I imagine that if it was our practice to do, to publicly enter into um, an act of, um, sorry, I imagine that if it was our practice to publicly display our sorriness towards God, that we too would be fast out of our houses finding um, goat's hair to wear and to publicly relent. But God, in his grace towards the end of this passage that we have shared together, doesn't. Because what we see this morning is that when God speaks, everything else listens. God speaks and light comes out of darkness. God speaks and the waters separated from the water, the waters above separated from the waters below. God spoke and mountains rose up from the ground. God spoke and stars burned. God spoke and birds flew, fish swam and fruit trees grew. And when God spoke, Jonah went the second time. And when God spoke, the Ninevites believed God and recognized him and recognized his claim on the world and on them. So this morning, as we think about this passage together, what we see is an individual who repents, a city who repents, and a God who also repents. Because in the midst of our smallness, or maybe our feelings of smallness, we remember that God sees things in us that others can't. That God sees in us who he has created us to be. That God has mercy upon us. And I want to just, aware of the time, conclude with this story about Beethoven. Put yourselves in the shoes of that legendary composer. He would spend hours towards the end of his life playing a broken harpsichord. The instrument was worthless, the keys were missing, the strings were stretched, and and its tune was harsh on the ears. Nonetheless, the great pianist would play till tears came down his cheeks. To look at him, you would think that he was hearing something sublime. He was. Because by this stage in his life, he was deaf. What he was hearing was not the sound that the instrument was making, but the one that the instrument should make. And this morning, it's a little bit like us 
to God. Because for Jonah, really, he may have been a broken instrument as a prophet going for God, yet God heard who he could be. That God sees a city trapped in wickedness, yet he sees it as it could be. So this morning, we want to ask ourselves this morning, as we come to this table, the ultimate symbol of reconciliation and repentance, where and what aspects in our own lives do we need to repent of? What as a city do we need to repent of? Safe in the knowledge that God will hear our cries and act according to his will. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come back into your presence reading scripture and we remember what a challenge it is to us, how it speaks to the individual circumstances in our lives. We pray this morning that we would hear your call on our lives to be who you would have us be, to share the message that you would have us share with the villages and towns and streets around us, and that we would be witnesses to you, and that we may encounter your grace because we know you give it so freely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.